It's good to see you all out tonight. I'm liable to get too hot, so if I do, I'm taking this coat off. Pastor gave me permission. Some of you lucky folks are already dressed down, but uh, enjoyed that music. And I was sitting there listening to that, thinking how our tribe that we lived with all those years, no music. No word for music. No, not even drums. You know, everyone thinks, oh, tribal people got drums. No, 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 lots of them don't. No music at all. Never heard it. Don't have a word for it. When they would hear us, you know, we took back in those days a little, not like the nice big boom boxes nowadays, but, you know, a little battery-operated boom box type thing. And you guys remember back in the cassette days and so on. And uh, we would listen to music, and they'd make fun of it. Oh, they made fun of all that singing. They, you know, they, they'd make fun of it. They'd never heard, you know, someone's voice do that kind of stuff. And uh, I was sitting there listening and thinking, man, can you imagine growing up never hearing something like that? Never heard music. Can't even hardly enjoy it. Of course, what I really enjoy about that kind of music, too, is those are all songs I grew up with. I could sing all those. Probably most of you could, too, huh? Of course, that's what makes those even mean that much more to us. Oh, the blood of Jesus. You know, really, really fun. I, I want to encourage you, too, as a church, if I can. I'm getting old here, so I guess I can do this. But that I'm encouraged that you're supporting missionaries that have been missionaries for 37 years. Like, like the ladies just said, 29, 37 Others said others this morning. Uh, you know, that's getting harder and harder to find missionaries that serve for 37 years. It's getting really hard. Uh, I, my job, in one sense, is to try to mobilize the next generation that will maybe finish this for us, bring the Lord back, I don't know. And you know how many seem to go and quit in a year or two? Lots. Really sad. Attrition rates are through the roof in most missions. And so it's really encouraging to see people who have hung in there for a long time still serving the Lord. And I would argue that the church in general needs desperately to keep those people in front of us today. You need to keep them in front of the young people to encourage them that with God you can do this for 37 years. And you can be thankful at the end of 37 that you did it. And that we as the church will stand behind you. I, my wife and I did what most of these missionaries have already said. That is, we worked on the field a long time. In my case, my father passed away of brain cancer, and they asked me to come home and take his place. It was the hardest decision we ever made in our life to come off the field. It took us about three years to finally actually admit okay yes we will do that we sort of did it temporary you know and oh my goodness this just doesn't feel good you know we just didn't want to leave the mission field not that we don't love America we loved America even more after being a missionary uh, so it had nothing to do with loving our country it was that we, we loved our work but uh, I came off the field and church that had supported us for 20-some years dropped us because we're not in church planning anymore. 
And I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to say anything. That's their right. But I also thought, they're not understanding right. I believe I'm still in church planning. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I waited for about four years. Then I wrote them a letter. Thanked them for all the years of support, but tried to just gently prod them to think, not about my support, but just think this through. That I would argue I'm still in church planning. I'm trying to raise up church planners, train them, and get them out to the mission field. I'm getting at the age where it's going to be harder for me to go do it myself. But if I can influence young men and women to do it, and the reason I tell you that story is because it's encouraging to me to see you supporting missionaries that have, for various reasons, maybe age, maybe need, have been asked to work in their headquarters, and that you're still supporting them. You're, you're a rare breed in that sense in many ways. So I hope this makes sense to you. And I'm suspicious that you understand like we should understand that it's the body of Christ working together. We're not all mouths, right? You know that here at this church. Pastor was telling me about all of them that are out there working right now, doing all kinds of wanna stuff, right? We're not all the preacher. We're not all the speaker. Some of us are feet. Some of us are fingers. Some of us might even be fingernails in the body of Christ. You ever had a finger without a fingernail? Ooh, there's a reason why God put fingernails there, right? We all know that. If you wreck a fingernail, man, I mean to tell you, and you, it takes a long time to grow back. Anytime you bump that finger, it hurts like crazy. God said, no, no, I'll put a little turtle shell there for you. And man, does it help. And without it, it's almost like the finger has a hard time functioning. And the body of Christ is much that way. And I, I just find myself constantly trying to help Americans understand the body of Christ functioning together and that even folks that say they work at BCM headquarters, there's no headquarters there, BCM will fall apart. And so I would argue that it's very valid what you're doing and that I believe when we see the Lord that you'll be rewarded for that, for understanding how the body works and that yes, we want, say, like the Buckner types, get over there, okay? But we also realize there takes this other all these other jobs in getting this job done that the Lord's given us to do. So I'm very encouraged what I'm hearing and seeing. Uh, you are hanging in there and understanding things that a lot of people aren't nowadays, it seems, in our country. But uh, tonight, it's good to be back with you again for the missions conference and, and to be part of, of what you're trying to do. Uh, I've enjoyed my experience here with you. And I want to look tonight uh, once more at the Bible for a little while. And uh, we'll draw out of that some experiences that I've had on the mission field, uh, but we'll also see what, excuse me, what the Lord may, uh, may want to teach us here. Uh, living with a, a group of people like the Yanomamo all those years, uh, I, I often felt blessed uh, because of the job that the Lord gave me to do forced me to learn things that I, I would have never thought through, I would have never understood, the hardness of it, the, the, the rough part of doing it, actually ended up being for the good. You know what I'm talking about. Most of us are old enough. We've been through rough times. And it's through those rough times that the Lord teaches you things that if it's all smooth sailing, you never learn them. 
And so uh, a lot of the struggles of being on the mission field and living where we did actually ended up for the good, even though sometimes going through them didn't feel that way. Uh, but the Lord taught us a lot. If you have your Bibles, though, I'm going to be reading a psalm that is probably very well known to you because you're a mission-minded church. So if you've heard it before, even spoke on, forgive me here, but we'll wander through it uh, maybe from my perspective. And it's Psalm 96, a very well-known missionary psalm in one sense. Uh, psalm 96. And uh, I want to wander through a few of those verses here uh, this evening. Psalm 96 and verse 1 uh, in my Bible says this, uh, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. I'm a missionary, I can't help it. I have all underlined. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. I, I remember living with the Yanomamo and adjusting to all the new and strange things that they did. You know, what they ate was kind of weird sometimes. Really weird. And thankfully, my tribe was the kind... They didn't get offended if you didn't eat their food. By the way, most people aren't really offended if you don't eat their food. On the other hand, they like it when you like their food. Uh, but, you know, when they would offer me <laughs> a grub worm as big as my thumb that was still alive, I'm, I'm like, no, come on, we're not really eating these, are we? Oh, man, they're in their glory. I mean, literally, they're in their glory eating that grub. That grub turns into a beetle. It's probably about four inches long. I don't know if you've ever seen them on TV or in a magazine that they have two great big horns up here. It's like a rhinoceros beetle. And it's, I mean, big, huge horns. You know, I'm, I'm suspicious if they grabbed you, it would hurt a bit. Uh, but that, that grub would turn into that beetle. And the Yanomamo would go out where, where palm trees have fallen in swamps. Apparently they know that they go there and lay their eggs in those palms because the heart of the palm is all pulpy, you know, and they can get in there. And the animal will chop them open, and in there are just tons of these big grubs. You know, and I'm having a blast filming all this until they start to eat them because I figured, well, we're at least going to go cook them, you know, and they're eating them already. I just could not believe it. As I lived with them, though, I, I kind of understood why they eat grubs. Not that I wanted to do it, but I understood. Because they, th their life, there's no fat in their life. Basically no, f you know, like oil, grease, fat, you know, bacon. Okay? Never heard of bacon. And it's all of that stuff that tastes good even in our culture, right? I mean, that's why we have trouble here at home. We got a bunch of that stuff. Okay? And I, I keep getting drawn to it. I can't help myself, sort of. I like hamburgers and french fries that are cooked in fat, sort of, you know, in, in oil. And, and the Yanomamo have none of that. And so their diet is as blah as the day is long. By the way, they had no salt. No salt. Except what might be by nature in stuff. You know, but no salt salt. Uh, there was nowhere they could get it. They didn't even have a word, good word for it. Well, they didn't have a word at all for it. We taught them the Spanish word when they saw us doing it. And, and, and any of our food that had salt in it, they would try it. Oh, they hated it. Phew, salty. You know, I'm thinking, shoot, I can't even taste that salt. You know, I'm putting more on. 
and they're they're like oh oh really strong uh, but sure enough they're like us they started liking salt and uh, wanted us to bring salt in for them thankfully most uh, anthropologists uh, didn't get angry at us for bringing salt in uh, because when you don't have enough salt you act, that's actually a problem on the other side right we, we have too much sometimes but not having enough is a problem I'm suspicious that's why they never grow big tall you know, they're, they're not pygmies, but they're short people. And I'm guessing that if they were able to continue having salt and all the other things that we tried to help them with, vitamin, vitamin C, they never had any of that hardly in their diet, that they probably will grow bigger. Uh, but they, they loved salt, only they would mainly, when they're boiling a piece of meat, they'd take a little pinch, literally, drop it in there. I'm like, how does that help? You know, shoot, I need a salt shaker. You know, but uh, they just drop a pinch in there, and it, a little bit of salt when you're boiling meat actually does make it taste better, right? We all know that. That's why we put it in there. And uh, just adjusting to all these new things in their culture was quite, uh, you know, at times it was even a little bit unsettling, <laughs> like when they're eating grubs, you know? Uh, but uh, why they liked that grub was because it, a grub, you guys know this, it's just fat. That's all it is. It's fat. It's like the fat on bacon. Okay, and there's a little beetle up. That's the head of the grub worm. That's the baby beetle. And he or she, whatever it is, is going to live off this fat until it's big enough to eat what beetles eat. Okay, and God made it that way. That's the grub. That's a, that's a bee. It's the same thing. Baby bee, going to eat this fat until it becomes a, big enough to eat adult bee food, whatever that is, and so on. Okay, and, and the Yanomama loved to raid, by the way, bees nests and eat the larva because they had this craving for, for oil, for fat, for that flavor. For, and uh, I, it began to make sense to me. I never got hooked on it myself. <laughs> uh, we've got our own kind, you know, we call it oil or whatever or bacon. Uh, but I understood why they, why they did what they did. But it was kind of an adjustment to to how they lived, what they ate, how they built their houses, and of course, how they talked and so on. But for me, one of the big adjustments uh, was living in a, in a group of people that are in an active revenge warfare that I told you about this morning. We weren't there, but I don't know how many months, and the war was raging, and our people were petrified of the enemy, didn't know when they were going to show up and try to revenge a death. And of course, I was just figuring this out a little bit. I remember one night, they, after dark, they never went out. I mean, when it was starting to get dark, they hit the road. They've been there visiting all day at your house, they're gone. And they're in that big roundhouse that I showed during Sunday school by dark, because it's partly for protection. But I remember uh, one night after dark, down there for us, that was like 7 o'clock every night of the year. You know, right on the equator, it gets dark right around 6 to 6.30. And one night around 7, they were down there sort of rapping on my door trying to get my attention. And usually that meant somebody's really sick. They want us to come up and see if we can help. And so I went to the door, and they were whispering. What are we whispering for here? You know, I'm thinking, what's the whisper for? I, I hadn't learned yet. Uh, but I was about to learn that the Yanomamo, when they think somebody has died, they will never say that person's name ever again. 
they, they won't talk about that person except in euphemisms. Like they'll talk about a lady who's died as the beads that are broken. And about a man who's died as the arrow that broke. And so they're whispering to me. And they're saying, we think there's a broken arrow. Big deal, I'm thinking, you know, a broken arrow, who cares? You know, until I kind of dug around and found out more, oh, oh they think somebody's died. And I, I kind of knew what they were trying to get me to do, but I didn't fully understand. They were trying to get me to go down the end of our airstrip and go way out there in the jungle up on this jungle-covered mountain-like uh, where they thought one of their people had gone fishing in a little stream and he hadn't come home. And so they thought maybe the enemy got him and they were too petrified to go up there to look for him. They had never seen a flashlight, ever. They had never seen artificial light except the fire. Isn't that weird? I mean, some of this was, so, was actually fun, you know, when they've never seen a flashlight, and you get to turn it on. Whoa, it's like Star Wars came to town, you know, and shoo, man, how comes this light? And, oh, is that ever cool? What is that? We try to explain a flashlight when I can't even explain it. I have no clue except to put batteries in it, turn it on, it works, you know, and there's a light bulb. And, but they, they loved our flashlights, and, and so they were saying, take your, I had one that you could wear on your forehead, you know, a six-volt one, great big battery we'd carry, and it would last a long time. Go out there and see if you can find the arrow. And I'm like, oh, joy, you want me to go out there? Thanks, you know. And so I got my coworker, we talked about it, and they're crying already, and they're whispering, and, you know, everything's falling apart here. So we thought, okay, 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 we'll go, we'll go because we were pretty sure they would never shoot us even if they're out there because we're not part of the system. So we went out there and we had to cross a creek and we were grumbling missionaries, of course. You know, what are we doing out here in a jungle beating around in the dark? Shoot, we don't know the woods and what if we get lost? And we're grumbling up a storm, sort of. We shouldn't have been, probably. <laughs> but we were grumbling to each other. Oh, here they got us on another wild goose chase is what we were thinking. And so we, we just walked all over that mountain. Finally, we were about ready to say, okay, we're going home. This is another wild goose chase. We've been on lots of these before. When all of a sudden, bingo, our headlights hit him. There he was, chuck full of arrows. And he was dead, of course. We're like, oh, brother. They were right. And I, I, we hadn't been there that long, and I just remember like, whoa, I just can't believe this. This is really, really sick. This is a guy we know. You know, we've been there long enough. We know this guy. And here he is, uh, is dead, laying there, chuck full of arrows. And, and so, of course, our people, uh, my, my coworker and I were like, oh, my. We don't agree with none of this. Look at this. They're killing them before we even learn the language enough to preach a gospel to them. And so we went back to the village, and we told them, sure enough, the arrows broke. You know, come with us. We've got to go get them. And what the Yanomamo would do is they would take a big, long pole and tie a hammock to it, put the body in it, and then two guys would carry the hammock, you know, to, to bring him home. And so we went up and did that, and so began the whole process. I showed you a little bit of it in Sunday school of, of cremating the body, and, and on would go this whole process that we knew, okay, this just means someone else is going to die now because our guys are going to think they have to go revenge at death, of course. They're going to go over and kill someone in the, in the village that they're pretty sure did this to them. And this thing just goes on and on and on and on. 
what a life it was, you know, in those early days to try to get your hand around this and try to figure out what's going on and just to see what sin does totally unchecked, you might say. We have no clue how, how sin is checked in our culture by virtue of the influence the Bible's had on us as a nation. We have laws that say you can't do this, you can't, do, can't beat your wife. We don't care what she did. doesn't matter what she did. You're not allowed to take a club to her. Or a young mom will take clubs to their wives all the time. I, there's pictures I can't even show you. I've shown them to some people. I had one lady one time faint, standing there watching, fell right to the ground. Whoops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But th- this is what happens where there's been no check, if you want to call it that, by God and his truth on a race of people Probably since the Tower of Babel. No godly influence. Apart from that little, what would you call it? God consciousness that Romans says every human being has. But Romans also tells us that every human being smothers that. Right? That's Romans 1. They deny that there is a God and they worship the creature more than the creator. And then he gives us a big long list of what happens because they do that, right? You've read that in Romans 1. All kinds of horrible sins. Well, we were watching it with our own eyes. We were watching that. Sadly, that's what's happening to America, right? We're moving back into that realm. We're denying God as a country, as a people, and things are getting uglier. Well, that's the Anamamo for thousands of years. But every time I read this verse 1, I think of all that because the Bible says, sing unto the Lord a new song. I like that. A new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. And to go into that kind of an environment that I just defined, learn their language, learn their culture, preach the gospel, and then all of a sudden seeing some of them guys singing a new song. It just blows your mind. You realize, wow. Wow. God and his word is incredibly powerful. To watch all this junk going on that just about sometimes when, when, when they would bring a wife to us that's beat to a ruddy pulp, one lady, it took us four hours to suture her head back together. And I remember thinking, oh, it's a good thing I don't have a shotgun. I just feel like going after somebody, the bozo that did this to this lady, I just can't believe it, sort of, you know, it just make you angry. I, I remember thinking, what must the father of this woman think? Oh, they're fine with it. That's how wacky their culture had become because of no influence from God and his word. And then to see those same people actually literally learn to sing. And some of them were singing today while we're meeting here. And you realize, wow. All we really did was go there and live amongst them and tell them the truth, sort of. Not sort of, but literally, tell them God's truth. Live it out as best we could as human beings, but, but tell them what God has said starting right at the beginning, in the beginning, God. And then in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and go right on through to the cross. And then watch God take that truth and turn killers like that, wife beaters, into elders in the church. Wow. 
Remember, I have video of some of these guys doing their, their witchcraft and they took dope too to do their witchcraft. It's the only reason they took dope. They took a drug, a hallucinogenic drug and they'd be off in this trance and all this incredible stuff. And every time I watch that video, I'm like, I just can't believe that Samuelito because <laughs> he's today the best preacher in our valley. I mean, he, he helped us translate the Bible hour upon hour upon hour. And God's turned him into a preacher. Wow, when you get to see that, you, you just become that much more convinced. Wow, God is powerful. You couldn't have stopped them from doing these things with a gun. You couldn't have done it. You could have hold them at gunpoint. They're still going to beat their wives. That's called America, right? Guys running around with guns on their hips, piles of them, special cars, handcuffs, trying to stop it still happens, right? It's happening as we sit. Some woman's being beat up by a man. Even though we got policemen everywhere and jails and everything else. You can't stop it that way, right? We know that. Sadly, we try, and I'm glad we try. But it's only allowing God to change hearts that really stops that kind of stuff, right? And to watch in the context of the Yanomamo that just because we were willing to go and learn their language and culture and share God's truth with them, there were a bunch of them that believed it. And they actually, here's what was really cool. A lot of the Christian men began to say, you know what, we're not going to let you beat women in this valley no more. It had nothing to do whether you're a Christian or not. We don't agree with this. Kind of like America of old, where men said, no, no. You're not doing that. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. You're not allowed to beat a woman up that way. We will arrest you. And so the Yanomamo can't arrest them. But they started standing up. A whole group of men, you know, said, okay, it doesn't matter whether it's my daughter or not. When we hear someone's beating a woman, we're going to go stop them if we possibly can. And they began to stand up for the values that they believed in. And interestingly enough, they actually influenced the unsaved. They actually began to influence the whole culture in our valley you can't beat women no more. Doesn't mean someone didn't do it still, but there was, a, there was developing a peer pressure from the believers, you don't treat women that way. I thought, isn't that amazing? But then I thought to my country, well, that's what happened to my country, right? A lot of our founding fathers said, this is what we believe, we're not going to do this, we're going to have rules against it, it's called law. And we're going to write laws that if you do this, we're going to arrest you. And we developed a, a culture based on at least some of God's values that in this case attempted at least to protect women. I'm very proud of it, but I'm very sad that it's being abused a lot these days. But uh, the Yanomamo, isn't it interesting? They're, they're coming out of that, influencing their whole culture. And while America is to some degree going back into it in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I, you can see that happening. Well, look at verse 2 with me here. The Bible goes on to say, Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Show forth his salvation from day to day. I remember as we lived amongst the Yanomamo, uh, there was a period where, where they had gotten very confused about the gospel, about salvation. And the Yanomamo had taken... Uh, they didn't have a good word for God. There was no good word for God. And, and, and so we didn't know really, okay, what are we going to call God here? 
We could have just called him God. Wouldn't have mattered. They don't know what that word means. But we thought, well, maybe we'll use the Spanish word. Because at least they're in a Spanish country. We might as well use Dios if we're going to bring a word in. So we, we started using Dios. We also later then made a Yanomamo word for God. Yaibada is what we really call him now. But the Yanomamo had taken the word for God in Spanish, Dios, and they had turned it into a verb. Okay, and they took a verb ending, and they put it on the end of God, of Dios. Like Diosing. Eating, Diosing. They made a verb like that. Okay, and they would ask each other, are you Diosing? If you're, you know, if they're trying to find out, are you a Christian, sort of? And you would say, oh yeah, I'm Diosing. And I remember finding out they were doing this, and I got really, really, really nervous. Because if you understand God's word, oh, that's making me nervous, theologically. Are you a Christian by Diosing? Are you a Christian by Godding? Or maybe you could translate it, doing the God thing? No, 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 right? We're not saved because we do the God thing. We're saved because Jesus did the God thing, right? That's why we had last Sunday, called Easter. We're thanking God that Jesus did the God thing. And all I got to do is believe in him. And thou shalt be saved, the Bible says, right? Put my faith and trust in the fact that Jesus did the God thing. I can't. I'm a lost sinner. I need help. So Jesus came, did the God thing. I put my trust in what he did, not in me doing the God thing. Well, the Yanomamo had developed all this terminology, and, and I remember getting really, really nervous. Oh, my goodness. And so I, I remember asking the Yanomamo at times. I, I decided, okay, time out. We got to do some detective work here. Spiritual detective work, sort of, you know. And I, I remember sitting around in hammocks, and, and I'd ask the Yanomamo, Are you Diosing? Oh, yeah, I'm Diosing. <laughs> I'd say, Okay, good. Um, what do you do, by the way, when you do the Diosing thing? Because I'm trying to find out, what are they really thinking? You know, what, when you're doing the Diosing thing, what, what, what are you doing? Oh, they said, I quit chewing tobacco. Oh, okay. He thinks he's Diosing. In other words, saved, because he doesn't chew tobacco. I thought, how in the world did this get started? This sounds like America. Where'd this come from? I'm thinking to myself, where, where, who started this lie? That you get accepted by God because you don't chew tobacco? I didn't say this to them. I'm thinking this in my head. Okay, and so I started chalking this up in my mind. Oh, buddy, Jorge thinks that. Enrique thinks that. Oh, I couldn't believe how many guys said, oh, yeah, I'm Diosing because I don't chew tobacco. By the way, I was glad they, they weren't chewing tobacco, some of them, because they spit it everywhere they go, right in my house. Yanomamo don't have a word for floor. Okay, they never thought of floor. You know, we know what floor means. Floor means something we made, <laughs> right? It doesn't mean earth. <laughs> it means floor. And so on our floors... We don't really spit, right? Because we have a floor. We're trying to keep it clean. Oh, that, that's never crossed their mind. They've lived on the dirt their whole life, right? They've never thought of this, ever. And you can tell them, okay, don't spit here on my earth, please. 
you couldn't say please, they didn't have the word for it, but you could sort of imply that. Kind of, hey, be nice if you would not split, spit on my earth here. Remember, I did hard stuff here on purpose. Is what I told them, you know. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. I forgot again, you know. And they do it again, <clears throat> do it again, do it again. Not on purpose, not to be in your face. It's just they couldn't remember. So quitting chewing tobacco, I was pretty happy about that just for my own health so they wouldn't spit in my house. So I wasn't about to say, okay, let's all start chewing tobacco again let alone being an American and from American Christendom, you know, I, I'm not too hip on that tobacco stuff. Okay, but I thought to myself, this is really scary though. A bunch of them think they're going to heaven because they quit chewing tobacco. D-O-C mowing, D-O-C-ing is not chewing tobacco. Some of them said, well, I quit beating my wife because they knew what we thought about that and they kind of knew what God said about it. And so to them, they were D-O-C-ing by not beating their wife. That's what made them a Christian. Man, I thought, how did this get started? Of course, we all know, right? There's an enemy out there that's trying to twist every time we share the truth, okay? And some of them said, well, I, I, I'm deosing by going to your meetings every night. We had meeting every night, a couple hours every night. And to them, it was like, that meant meeting, going to meetings was deosing to them. And that will make me acceptable to God. Well, how did this one get started? A bunch of them also said this. I pray every morning when I get up. That's how I do that thing. I pray every morning. And they would. I'd hear them. Because the Yanomamo, for some reason, sort of almost subconsciously think if you, you can't pray quietly. You can't pray in your head. God, you got to talk, sort of, you know. Because we taught them it's talking to the Lord. and So they would pray out loud. And it was kind of fun to hear him pray. But I remember thinking, wow, there are just hundreds of people here who think that they're made right with God by doing these things. I, I hope all of that's bothering your conscience too. Oh, you're kidding me. In me and my coworker, the only two people, only two Christians in the world that can speak their language. Okay, so we feel massive pressure. We can't just say, well, whatever, they're confused. Because there's nobody else on planet Earth that can help them get straightened out. We're the only ones that speak their language. And somehow or other, this has got really messed up. And, and I remember uh, beginning to fight that battle with the Yanomamo. Uh, this sounds really weird from American missionary, but I remember telling them in the meeting, when I finally found all this out, we started teaching on this. And I remember saying to them, uh, do, you, do you guys really think this? I said, that, that if you die and you go to, uh, up to the pearly gates, as it were, and, and Jesus meets you there, and he says, why should I let you in here? I asked them those questions. What would you tell them? I said, are you going to go like this? You think you'll say, oh, clean, good, morning. You think that's the issue? Is this the issue? Clean that lip up. Or is there a much deeper issue? Sin, right? That's part of my very nature, the Bible teaches. How am I cleaning that one up? And obviously, even in American Christendom, these things get kind of out of kilter, don't they? We have a tendency to make all the external issues and many, many churches at the expense of the internal issue, the real issue, right? I'm not encouraging them to chew tobacco, 
for heaven's sakes, I never chewed it. I remember telling him, you notice I don't chew it? And we talked all about that. But I was bound and determined that I am not going to be a servant of the Lord that allows them to think by not chewing tobacco they please God. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. There's only one way to please God, right? And that is put your faith and trust in what he tells you about his son. That was your sacrifice for sin. And if you will put your trust in that sacrifice, thou shalt be saved, I will accept you, I will invite you in, and I'm going to tell you when you come in, get your head up and look right straight at me. No getting down on the ground. It's all been dealt with. No fear here. God never gives us a spirit of fear. Because if we put our faith and trust in His Son, He's dealt with it all. Right? He's dealt with it all. That's why we sing the songs. That's why she played the songs she was playing. All about the blood that's dealt with our sin. And God's not holding your sin over your head. Oh, there you did another one. And threatening you so that you will act like a good boy or a good girl. He's actually trying to love you into that. Right? He's saying, I took care of it all for you. I took care of every sin you've ever committed and every one you will ever commit. It's all dealt with. Come into my throne room, what's he say? Boldly. Boldly. I kind of see it this way. You walk into the presence of Jesus and you're feeling like this. He's going to say, ah, head up, head up. Head up, I died for this. Head up. Now come in here and talk to me. Look me right in the eye. I want to be your friend. I want to talk to you. I don't want you afraid of me. I died for your sin. I paid your penalty. Now come on in. Don't be afraid like the high priest, remember? When he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, they tie a rope around his leg. They put bells on his clothes because they were afraid that God might just strike him dead instantly. And if he did, none of us are going in to get him out. So we got a rope we can pull him out if that happens, right? That's literally the truth what the Israelites did. And Jesus dies on the cross. And his father reaches down from heaven and he rips the veil of the Holy of Holies wide open from top to the bottom. Right? You can go read that. He reaches down there on the day we just celebrated when Jesus finally dies and pays for the sins of the world, God reaches down and he rips the Holy of Holies wide open. He says, it's open to you now if you'll believe me. Come on in. Don't be afraid. Come. Come in. I want to talk with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be your father. Wow, pretty cool stuff, huh? The Anamamo had not understood that. And they thought all their good works is what made them right before God. None of their good works were wrong, right? They weren't wrong things. They weren't things I want to tell them, go back to the bad things. But I surely did not want to allow them to keep believing that those are the things that make me right before God. No, 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 no. Those are the things I attempt not to do because I'm right with God. Does that feel right? You understand me? Okay, I, I, I attempt not to beat my wife 
because I'm right with God. He's changed my heart. Okay, maybe I get angry and I want to, but I'm trusting him to help me not to do that if I'm a Yanomamo because I'm right with God. Because he died for that sin. I'm not going to abuse that. And I walk with God, as the Bible says. Well, the Yanomamo didn't understand all that, and it was a lot of fun. I guess you could call it fun. Uh, going back and trying to get this crystal clear for them. Uh, it took us quite a while, but it was really, really fun. By the way, I remember asking them after teaching on this a long time, trying to make this clear. Sensing, okay, they're clear. And so I started asking the same question. When you die, if Jesus says, well, why should I let you in? What are you going to tell them? <laughs> I was like, okay, I wanted to see what they're going to say. I remember one guy said, oh, dude, he says, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I said, what's that? He says, I'm going to shove that door open, and I'm going to tell God, you see that one sitting over there on the throne? Because of him. I thought, bingo, he got it. He got it. His confidence in the fact that God would accept him into heaven, as it were, was because of Christ who was sitting on the throne, the one who conquered sin and death and paid his penalty. And that's where his confidence was. It wasn't in, oh, I quit this, or I don't do this, or I pray, or I... No, 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 his confidence was in his Lord, who died for him on the cross, that we celebrated just one week ago. Uh, his confidence was in that, and I thought, oh, praise the Lord, they're catching on. They're finally catching on uh, to what God's done for them. Well, I took way too long to tell that. Look at verse 3 here. He goes on to say, again, here goes this missionary psalm, declare his glory among the nations... His wonders among all peoples. Wow. <clears throat> all the way back <clears throat> in the Psalms, God was a missionary God. And here in verse 3, he used the psalmist to pen these words, declare his glory among all the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Even way back there, <clears throat> God wanted all the nations of the earth uh, to hear of the true God, Jehovah. If you go into the Hebrew, go look at the Hebrew on this verse, and you will find out that again, guess what the sense is of these words, of the word nations and peoples. It's again the sense of the ethnic peoples of the earth. Almost never in the Bible is the word nations referring to political nations. Political nations like the U.S. and Canada and Mexico and France and Germany and Papua New Guinea. Very seldom. Almost always it's referring to ethnic nations. Like we sometimes use the word in our own language. The Cherokee Nation. The Navajo Nation. The Iroquois Nation. Okay, that's how the Bible uses it here. And God is sort of giving a command here that we are supposed to declare his glory <clears throat> among all the, all the peoples with an S on it different kinds of peoples of planet Earth. Like I told you this morning, uh, there's still all kinds of peoples with an S. Okay, the Bible uses that term, peoples, because it's a different word than people. People is just people. Peoples are different kinds of people. Okay, and he's saying here, declare his wonders among all the peoples. And, and sadly, there are still many peoples that have never heard his wonders. I didn't read these to you, but I'll just quickly read them here for you. Uh, these figures that are just mind-boggling, that there are around 6,900 languages on planet Earth. 6,900. 
Okay, that means almost 7,000 different ways to say, I am hungry. <laughs> that makes me laugh thinking about it in a sense of a, a scared laugh almost. Our God came up with 6,900 ways to say, I'm hungry. Monkeys didn't. No, 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 the monkeys didn't figure this out. If you ever go try to learn a tribal language, here's my tribe, they, they don't know how to read or write, they don't even have a word for word. Okay, they don't have a word for word. They call words sounds. They'll say, make that sound again. You can't say, make that word again. You have to say, make that sound again. Yet, if I had the time here on a chalkboard, I could so confuse you, you, you would think I'm a genius if I started explaining the Yanomama language to you. I do it every week up there at New Tribes with college students. And they cannot believe what they're seeing. The grammar of the Yanomama language is beautiful. Their whole language is split into transitive and intransitive verbs. The language is split right down the middle. Transitive verbs take different past tense than intransitive verbs, and I lost most of you already. What the world's transitive and intransitive? By the way, they don't have a word for transitive and intransitive. They can't even explain it to you. They just do it perfect. Transitive verbs take objects. Intransitive verbs can't. For you that went to grammar school a long time ago, I remember learning that. Do you remember that? I hated that stuff in high school. But anyway, uh, here the Yanomamo, their language is just miles beyond their ability to write or anything like that. They speak this incredibly intricate language, so intricate you can put the Bible into it. And yet scientists think monkeys did it. You have to be kidding me. By the way, why did the monkeys learn to talk? Why didn't the cows? Ask them that one one time. Why did monkeys develop talking, according to you guys, but cows didn't? Over the same millions of years, why didn't the cow race learn how to talk? Or, or the frog race? Or any other, any other creature? Why just the monkeys? You probably never heard that question before. That's a simple one. And the big boys, like my dad used to call them, they can't explain it. They have no clue. No one's even hardly ever asked that question. Why did just monkeys do this? Why didn't some of the others do it? Why don't we see little colonies of talking cows? Maybe they're walking on two legs too now, finally. Come on. This is so ridiculous, it's unbelievable. Uh, yet Dr. So-and-so believes it with all his heart and teaches it to our kids. Isn't that frustrating? It frustrates me. But let me finish this. 6,900 languages. Get this. Of those 6,900, <clears throat> 475 languages have a piece of the Bible in their language. Somebody started, never finished. So we'll say 450. Have some verses, just some. They tell us this, that about 876 have at least one book of the Bible in their language. 876. They also tell us this, that around 1,700 languages have the New Testament in their language. One of those would be my tribe, the Yanomamo tribe. It's done and printed, and they have it. We've taught them what words are and how to read it. Okay, so there are around 1,700 languages that have the whole New Testament. By the way, how many versions of the Bible do you think we have in English? You guys know, right? Way over 200. Way over 200 times somebody has given their life to translate the whole Bible 
into my language. 200 versions at the bare minimum. And here are only 1,700 languages have just the New Testament. Of course, I'm kind of a little blunt. I guess I might as well tell you. You know why that's true, right? Because God loves the English-speaking world more than the rest. And I'm so privileged to be part of that special group that speaks English. No. Why does the English world have way more translation than any other part of the world? Guess where the money is. Okay, I'm just being bluntly honest with you. It's where the money is. And that's why another one just came out not too long ago. And another one will come again. You can count on it. Because if you want to be a millionaire, give your life to translate the Bible again into English. You'll get rich. Most of us are too old to get started. We'd never get her done. But put a group together, get it done, you'll get rich. Every preacher out there, almost including me, will buy it just to check it out. And you'll get rich. Okay, I'm glad we have all that. I'm not griping that we have it, but I am griping that we have 200 versions plus in our language when there's whole languages don't have one verse yet. Something is wrong when the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons, yet somehow or other it looks that way when you look at the Bible. Get this. Here's what's really cool. Up until this point in history, we've translated the Bible into 1,700. Or put, no, excuse me, the New Testament into 1,700 languages. But as you sit in your chair, over 2,000 languages are getting the Bible right now for the first time. Wow. And ever since Jesus at the little meeting in Galilee said, go and tell all the nations, we've put the Bible into 1,700 languages. But right now, we're putting it into 2,000 more. Right now, my son's doing it in one of them, in the CR language, out there in Papua New Guinea. Wow, do you see what I see? Something big is happening. It's almost like we're in the fourth quarter of a football game, and the Lord said, okay, no more huddling, let's get it done. It's almost like he's got this push on to finish this job of getting his word to every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. But sadly, like I told you this morning, that still leaves a little over 2,000 languages that don't have one verse yet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable when we just read the verse, declare his glory among all the nations, his wonders among all peoples. And this verse was said more than 2,000 years ago. This was commanded of God's children, you might say. In this case, the Israelites. But that's why we're having this conference. Because we know that the Bible's not just for the English-speaking world. That God loves the whole world, right? He's not willing that any should perish. And that he wants his word shared with every ethnic race, all peoples. And in, in, in another real sense, with all people, God would want his word shared, right? Very, very clear in his word. And so again, like this morning, I... I just challenge us to, to not lose track of that and not, not live for your 401k. It's so easy to live for your retirement or your, your savings or even your kids. That's not what God wants us living for. Does God want me not caring about my kids? No, 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 right? No, no, he wants me to care for my kids. But he doesn't want me to live for them. He wants me to live for him. And if I live for him, 
then I will be treating my kids right. It's just that in America, we're constantly told in our culture, they totally ignore God and they try to get you to live for all this other stuff. They want you now to buy an iPad 3. Hey, it's a trick. iPad 4 is coming. Okay? And they'll trick you to get that 3 and you'll think you've got a gold mine until iPad 4 comes out. And then you'll feel like, oh, they cheated me. They were probably already building that one when I bought my three. And now they're telling me my three's junk. Shoot. Next thing you know, okay, and you dig in, you buy the four, and you live this rat race. Hey, come on, I do it too. I know what I'm talking about here. Right? I mean, no sooner do you get something new in there, you know, in six months they show you a better one. It's all a plan. Right? We all know that. It's all planned. This doesn't happen by accident. It's all planned to get your money out of your pocket into their pocket. And Americans, if they don't watch it, they end up playing that game just time after time after time after time. And they're racing down that road, have not remembering at all what really what's going on. God loves the world. And he's trying to reach out to the world. And he wants to use you and me. And maybe I need to say, I can be happy with my iPad 1. Maybe he can allow me to be happy with that in the extra money that I could save, I can use for what God's trying to do in this world. And I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, <laughs> at least I'm convinced of this, if you live that way, that is realizing what's going on and your, your honest focus in your heart is what God's doing, you'll be really glad you did when, when you come to the end of life's road. When you're facing the Lord, like my dad when he was dying. He was so ready to go. He didn't want to die. He was 63 years old. But I remember him saying, I'm so glad I served the Lord. I'm so glad. He said, it was rough sometimes. He says, I felt like I couldn't feed you kids sometimes. I don't remember that. That's what he thought. He said, I felt like quitting many, many times. He said, I'm so glad I didn't. Because he was soon going to face him. And I'm just trying to help us keep that focus because that's so, so important. Let me, let me try to finish up here. Shoot. Pastor said, Juana won't be over till 7.30, so, ooh, that was really dangerous to tell me that. But Okay, but look at verse 4 here. For the Lord is great, and he's greatly to be praised. <laughs> Don't you like that? For he is to be feared above all the gods with a small g. For all the gods with a small g of the nations, of all these other peoples, they're just idols. But the Lord made the heavens. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of like God saying, hey, all those other gods out there, they're, they're fake. Me, the real God, look at the stars. I made those. Boy, have you ever looked at the stars? Down there in the jungle, man, it is so cool, man. You can see them so clear. No lights. No lights. No fog. No smog. Nothing. Just crystal clear. And you look up there and it just blows your mind, this incredible thing called the heavens. But listen to something I ran into recently. Let me read it to you. And I ran into this probably 10 years ago. But listen to this. This is incredible. This is a quote. Scientists know that light travels at the speed of 5.87 trillion miles in one year. <laughs> My dad used to say, I just blew a brain fuse. Okay, here, let me say that again. Light travels at the speed of 5.87 trillion miles in one year. Light does. Scientists also know that the galaxy of which we are part of, it's the solar system is part of, our galaxy, is about, hang on, 100 
8,000 light years in diameter. Which means that it is about 587,000 trillion miles wide. Okay, we call it the Milky Way. 587 trillion miles wide, our galaxy. Now get this, hang on. And it is simply one of at least 50 billion such galaxies. Oh, every time I read this, I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I always wonder who counted those stars, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness. 50 billion galaxies they can see today with Hubble. And ours is a small one that's 587,000 trillion miles wide. And then God says here in this verse, uh, I'm the real God, I made the heavens. Kind of like, I made the heavens. Whoa, it's unbelievable. How could you look at that and say, oh, there's no God, that just happened. Come on, this is incredible. Get this, and they go on to say, our galaxy, the Milky Way, one of 50 billion, our galaxy has about 100 billion stars in it. Just ours. 100 billion stars. The sun is just one of them. It's a modest star, they say. It's burning at about 6,000 degrees centigrade on the surface. <laughs> oh, brother, it's so hot, you could put it, what is it? Is it nine or three million miles away, and it heats our earth? We're hot right now. Right now it's hot in here because of a star that's millions of miles away. You have to be kidding me, but it's true. Okay, and they tell us here, our sun is traveling in an orbit. It's moving. Okay, it's moving at 155 miles per second, the sun is. Which means it will take 200 million years to complete one revolution of our galaxy. <laughs> That just is unbelievable. Then you know what? People, Christians are afraid to serve the Lord. Don't know if he could take care of me. You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding me. When he made all that just by saying, okay, I want a few stars. Boom, there it was. Billions and billions and trillions and trillions and massive huge thing called the universe. The Bible just said, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people, because he's the God who made the heavens, the Bible said. <laughs> I love it. That is so cool. And back then they had no clue how big the heavens were. No clue when they wrote that. God did, but they didn't. They had no clue that way down the road, you and I could read that and say, whoa, he did make something when he made the heavens. As far as I knew, it's the stars they could see. That's ah, just a little bit of it, right? It's huge. Verse 7 goes on to say, Give unto the Lord all you kindreds of the people. All you kind, see? All you kinds of people. Give unto the Lord glory. Glory and strength. Give unto the Lord, I like this, the glory that's due his name. It's due him. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in verse 9. In the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth all the earth. And so, all the way back in the Old Testament, God wanted all the kindreds or kinds, all the families, all the ethnos, all the peoples of planet earth to worship and glorify him. Right? That's been his desire right from the beginning. 
Okay, that every tribe, every nation, every people, every kind, every language would come to know him someday. And here we are amazingly in 2012 and it's still not true. And it surely isn't because God doesn't care. It's because somehow or other sometimes the body is a little spastic. Sort of lost control of who's really in charge. The head. He's supposed to be in charge. Not my 401k. I can slam 401ks because I don't have one. Uh, But I have to admit, I do have a 403b. Okay, which is simply a non-profit 401k. So I'm not slamming having retirement for heaven's sakes, right? I think we should plan for that, don't you? I believe God would actually consider it good stewardship to plan for your retirement years. But he doesn't want you living just for that. No, no, he wants you living for him. But yeah, in that process, planning for those days, maybe when I can't work anymore, of course he does. But America has a tendency to snooker us into thinking that's the goal. No, 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 that's not the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is what God's trying to do. And I want to live for that. And if I do, by the way, we're all kind of scared of this today, aren't we? You know what might happen to your wonderful 401k? If things keep going the way they are, it may be worthless. It could be worthless very quickly. We all watch television. We know we could be greased tomorrow where their economy's collapsed and their money's worthless. That could easily happen in my lifetime. I don't like saying that. That bothers me to even say that. It scares me. But it's true. So I have to keep convincing myself, okay, that's really not the issue. The issue is God and what he's doing. I'm going to live for that. And he said, I'll take care of all your needs. Just believe me. I have to believe him that he'll do that. That if all the little dinky savings I got burns up, so be it. He'll figure out how to take care of me. He's God. He made the universe. Right? We have to keep convincing ourselves of that. Otherwise, we get snookered into living for ourselves rather than living for the Lord. Somehow or other, things like this, I hope, help us think that through. I got to close, but let me read this verse. Boy, pastor should not have told me what he told me, but so you can blame him here, okay? Here we go. We're going to finish up, though. I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse. And this is the verse that I'm living for, okay? It's in the book of the Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 9. And it's a picture around the throne in heaven after the church has gone to be with the Lord, Okay? God lets John see it in a vision of the future. The Apostle John, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. John says there was a group around the throne and they sang a new song. (laughs) Here's that word again. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Okay, here now in Revelation chapter 5, in the future, there's going to be a group around the throne that will sing a new song and here's what they'll say. I always tell Christians, learn it because you're going to sing it. This is one of the One of the hymns we're going to sing in heaven. Here's the words, according to John. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and you redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Wow. It looks like God's going to finally build his church from every kindred. That's kind. Every tongue, that's language. Every tribe, we know what that means. And every nation, and guess what word nations is again? Ethnos. 
And God seems to be predicting here that there will be people around his throne from every kind of person on planet earth, every race of people. So, when you get to heaven, since you saw some of my pictures this morning, watch for some Yanomamo. You'll get to see some. That'll be kind of cool. We'll be up there singing this song. You look over there. Hey, 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 there's them guys we saw on the screen that time. There's Yanomamo. I, I don't know. I kind of wonder if they might not look like Yanomamo with their hair cut like they do. I kind of wonder that. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't think they'll be all American looking. I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that God gets great glory out of all the different kinds coming together to praise him. Instead of making us all alike, I kind of think he's going to bring the Yanomamo, my tribe. You know, here comes the Americans. Here comes the French. Here comes the Germans. You know, here comes Ben and Nikki's tribe. I can't remember their name. All the different kinds of the earth for the first time in one choir. And the, 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 the event that will bring them together is the Son of God on his throne. Isn't that cool to think about? The first time we all get together like that will be around the throne, according to the scriptures here. And we will sing a new song. I've always wondered, I wonder what language we'll sing in. I, it'll be English. Come on, we got 200 versions of the Bible in our language. Oh, here's a little theory. Now, okay, I've just stepped out of the scriptures here. Don't hold me to this. My theory, I wonder if we'll sing in our own tongues. Okay, because my tongue's my tongue, buddy. I don't want to sing in Yanomamo. I don't want to sing in Spanish. I can speak them both real well, but I love singing in English. I can't sing very well, but I like it. It's my tongue. And could it be that God's got all the languages of the earth tuned up in such a way that when they become one choir for the first time around his throne, it'll kind of be like a pipe organ when all the pipes play. You know, two or three, eh, oh, eh, doesn't sound too good. But when someone can make them all play, oh, buddy, that's beautiful. Could it be that our languages are tuned up by God when he made them that when they become a choir for the first time, it will be a praise and worship song like it's never been sung in history? I don't know. That's my guess. I could be wrong. We'll find out when we get there. But it is clear we're all going to be there from all these different kinds. And so as we close tonight, I guess my challenge to us again as a, as a church, as the church of the Lord Jesus, is to keep the focus in the right place and realize what you're trying to do as a church in this thing that we call missions is right. Okay? It's right. It's what God wants done. Even if the whole world thinks we're nutcases, who cares? Okay? Even if the whole world tries to stop us, we're still going to obey him. Right? We're going to do what he told us to do. And we're going to go into all the world. And we're going to preach the gospel, hopefully to every creature like he told us to. You know, a lot of us sitting here, okay, we're told we can't do that, we think. And we're probably right. Do you know what you can do? You can pray. Here's another thing you can do. You can help your children think this through so they're willing to send their children to carry the good news to people who've never heard. A lot of us are grandparents. I got 10 grandchildren. Okay, and it's a lot of times it's the parents and the grandparents that are stopping this whole thing. They refuse to let their children leave. I want my grandchildren by me. 
Okay, I want mine by me too. But I have, what is it now? Four and three, seven of them living a long, long ways away. And I go at times four years at a time without seeing them. Okay, they go away in fourth grade, they come back in eighth. You think I like that? No, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like just getting to see some pictures. But you know what? The Bible says my life on this earth is but a vapor. It's going to go really quick. And I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. And I surely don't want to look him in the eye and have to admit I kept my kids with me because I didn't care about the rest of the world. I tried, Lord, at least to be willing to let you use my children and their children to reach a lost world with the gospel. I did it to my parents, so why shouldn't I let my children do it to me? Let alone it's what God wants. And we as grandparents, we can have a big, big, big part to play in this if we encourage our, our children to be willing to let their children maybe go serve the Lord, get some training, and go off to some God-forsaken place, we think, to preach the gospel. And then, and then by the way, be proud of them. Be proud of them that they're willing to serve the Lord like so few are today. In a church like yours, you could pump them out. You could send them out. Our church right now, we've got 12 young people from our church in Bible college right now all planning to be missionaries. I'm, I'm shocked. How's this happening? Because we finally got more and more parents to say, you know what, this is what's important. This is way more important than you having a career, doing what God wants you to do. If God wants you to get out there and reach people, then go for it. We're behind you. We'll pray for you. We'll support you. And we'll be proud of you. I'll be more proud of you for doing that than going to Penn State and being an engineer. There's lots of engineers. Not many, though, that'll live for the Lord. Wow. Let's close. Lord, thank you for this church. Wow. It's encouraging to be here, uh, to see missionaries that have served you for a long, long time, still enjoying serving you, maybe doing it in a different way right now, but wanting to serve you to the end. Lord, help all of us to be that way, to not take our hand off the plow, uh, but to be in your vineyard until the day you decide to take us home, or maybe even the day you come back and take us all home. Lord, we, we want to be that way. Help us to raise our children, to encourage our grandchildren along these same lines, that whatever they do in life, that they too will be able to keep their focus on what really, really does matter down here on planet Earth, and that they'll live for you no matter what the culture around them is doing, no matter whether they're an engineer in a factory or whether they're a Bible translator out in some jungle, that they'll live for you and for what really matters. Thank you again for this church and, and for their, 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 their desire to influence many in their whole neighborhood here and the whole world uh, with the good news of what we celebrated last week, your resurrection. We pray that you'll continue to use Mount Calvary uh, in great ways in the days ahead, the school here too, Lord, with their ability to influence children the same way and that you'll use them to continue to reach a lost world for you and Lord, if you do, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.